0: This is Territory Tales, the stories behind the people and places that make Oregon's mounted territory so unique and awesome. I am your host, Jared Lyman, joined, as always, by Molly Johnson. Molly is always our excited person, and she always has fun with whatever we're talking about, but I know she enjoys uh, today's topic because she is a lifelong resident of the area, and as somebody who has been here your whole life, you're pretty versed in the history and the heritage that we have here.
1: Yeah, yeah, you could say that.
0: She, she knows more than me on some of those topics. So why don't you introduce our guests to, or our guest to our listeners?
1: Everyone, I want you to meet Bob Hill. He is our guest today, and he is a volunteer at the end of the Oregon Trail Interpretive Center in Oregon City.
0: Bob, thanks for joining us, because, I mean, th- this is a lot of fun, and, you know, a lot, a lot of people, you know, when, when you talk about heritage sites throughout the country, there's probably no other heritage site in, in, in the entire country that so many people still have a connection with than the Oregon Trail. I mean, so many people grew up playing the video game. Lord knows I did. And and whenever you talk to a group that's even a really wide age group, you mention that Oregon Trail, and they just they, their face lights up because they remember the game. Mm-hmm. So there, there's definitely, you know, a, a very important connection to people when it comes to the Oregon Trail. So that said, what is it that got you into the Heritage and, and working at the Oregon Trail Interpretive Center?
2: Well, um... Uh Basically, I had uh, an ancestor, a great grandfather, who came across the Oregon Trail in, oh, okay. in 1853. Really? Wow! And uh, so we've still got uh, pictures of him uh, from the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, I've got the uh, muzzle-loading rifle that he brought up across the uh, trail with him in uh, 1853. He wow. had, he came across with uh, his brother. Uh, they were uh, single guys at the time, and they signed on to uh, help herd uh, some cattle that was coming across on uh, with a group. So,
0: so it wasn't about you know moving and, and settling Oregon like so many other people, but they were just they did it as a job.
2: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's Man, and bit- I thought my
0: commute sucked. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's actually a different story than we typically hear, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: How did yeah. you find this out? Is this something that, yeah. that your family has always known, or were you doing research?
2: Passed it down, yeah. I had uh, a great aunt who uh, uh, was really into history. She had some great stories to tell herself. And then uh, I got to know her, and she bought me a lifetime membership, for instance, in the Sons and Daughters of the Oregon Pioneers, a, a uh, historic oh. organization here in Oregon. But yeah, uh, she had great tales Uh one I loved was she told about how she went on vacation one year. It was in the 1890s, I guess. And she left from, uh, she was living in the McMinnville area and uh, somehow got to Portland, took a steamship down to Depot Bay and uh, was there for a week or two and then took the stagecoach home. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. That's
0: crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of heritage sites out there. Right. What, what is it about the End of the Oregon Trail Interpretive Center that makes you want to spend so much of your time volunteering to share that story?
2: Yeah, I, I volunteer there two days a week. And actually, I volunteer one day or one or two days a week, depending on the week uh, at the McLaughlin House, too. Oh, so you're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I really like the End of the Oregon Trail uh, Museum, just the whole approach uh, where you've got a lot of— uh, activities for instance for kids if a kid comes to a normal museum you know the parents say don't touch anything yeah. don't do anything hold just, on to my hand just did that with my son the other day <laughs> uh, yes. a place, <laughs> but you go there we've got stuff for them to do they can load a wagon they can make candles uh, we've got a pioneer dress-up area which doesn't just appeal to the kids it appeals to the teenagers <laughs> it appeals to the 20-somethings everybody dresses up and takes photos of themselves uh, so we've got a, a variety of activities, but we've also got the museum uh, portion of it. You've, there's a lot of things to read, whether on the wall or on uh, tablet computers. Or we've got our movie, 25-minute-long uh, movie. That uh, well, I've I've been to all the Oregon Trail museums between here and Independence, wow. and uh, some of them are fantastic museums, including the one in Baker City. But ours has the best movie about the Oregon Trail. It uh, you know, features Dr. McLaughlin at the beginning. And, then,
0: and, and I was going to say, I mean, we, we've got a hologram. Yeah. How many other people can say that? That's
2: pretty cool. <laughs> That's right. And then you've got uh, actors portraying four actual people that came across on the Oregon Trail and saying things from their diaries. So it's actually about as close as a reenactment of the Oregon Trail as you could get in a movie. For those who aren't
0: watching but but listening, um, you're, you're dressed in period dress, as you always are when you're at the museum. Yes. Um, are you taking on the persona of a, a specific character or are you just some dude coming across the train? No. <laughs> yeah. For, no. Forgive the lack of eloquence. But.
2: <laughs> no. Uh, usually, unless we have some vignette, figured out or something where I'm doing so I just uh, am some dude coming across the trail and and, uh, so you're not playing your great great grandfather no no I just talk to the people and uh, uh, a lot of times they'll have questions about the trail that uh, you know I've read a lot about it and uh, most of the time I can answer their questions
0: (laughs) what's the most common question you get and it's probably you know dysentery because of the video game
2: yeah you get a lot of questions on uh, how many people died uh what uh what were the years that the trail was functional? Um those those are two common questions. Um and then you get some people that really want to go into detail, you know, well, why did people come to Oregon versus California? Well, uh, look at it. <laughs> I'm not biased at all. And we tell them it was the free land. You know, <laughs> you were going to California, you're looking for gold. If you were coming here, you were looking for free land to uh, to farm so those those are the the uh, typical questions i get
1: and you said that you started volunteering there in 2012 um
2: uh, there uh yeah well it was at uh, 2010 at the mclaughlin house okay. uh, late 2010 2011 and then yeah a, about a year later at the uh, end of the trail center because it was closed for a while when i first retired in uh, 2010 Uh, I went looking for things to do and, uh, ended up, I was, I went to the end of the Oregon Trail Center, but it was closed uh, for a while and then, uh, went to the McLaughlin house first. And then when it reopened, I went to the end of the trail center. Okay.
0: Okay. The end of the Oregon Trail Interpretive Center for, for people who don't realize it, it's not just like, Hey, here's a nice spot. Let's plop a museum here. There's a reason it's called the end of the Oregon Trail Interpretive Center.
2: Right. Yeah, it's located on a piece of ground that back in the 1840s was known as Abernethy Green after George Abernethy, also who has a bridge named for him right here at I-205. But George Abernethy was one of the early pioneers to Oregon, came here about 1840, was uh, an early mayor of Oregon City, was the first governor of uh, the provisional government of uh, of oregon which preceded the territorial government which and then it became a state but uh yeah abernethy green was a piece of land owned by george abernethy uh and it was right next to where the barlow road ended the piece the piece of the trail where they're coming down off of the mount hood area and so the people would come in always in the fall they'd leave in the spring travel all summer get here in the fall And as people may notice, it starts to rain here in the fall, not very good for getting (laughs) wagons around. And so it would be muddy and hard to travel. And so George would say, well, you can stay on my land for free all winter. And then when the spring comes, you can go look for your farm, stake it out. Well, he had one reason in particular for doing that. He had a store right next to that land. And so by letting people camp there for free all winter, he got a supply of extra customers, sort of the Walmart. (laughs) before walmart that's smart well
0: they let you camp at walmart i I guess they're just
2: following george uh, a
0: lead there so how many people and i don't know if this is even known this is just kind of curious how many people would have been like camped out at the green at any point in time
2: Hmm, i've never uh, thought of it in terms of numbers but it would probably be he had a whole section of land so uh He could have had, you know, up to several hundred at once. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's like a small city at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. They'd typically probably be in tents. They might be sleeping in their wagons. Uh, Wagons or tents to get out of the rain. Yeah.
1: And so when um, eventually that piece of land, how did it become available for the Interpretive Center to be built there?
2: Oh boy, I I would have to oh. know that whole history of how the land. Started. Oh,
1: okay.
2: I, I remember, you know, I'm fairly old, but I remember when it was ball fields. Oh. It was Kelly Field is what it was called, and there were baseball diamonds there. Oh, so okay. I assume it was city owned. Gotcha. And, uh, was a good place to to build that center. When it was built in the early 90s, that was a real period of enthusiasm about the Oregon Trail because it was the 150th anniversary of it in 1993. And uh, there was all kinds of things going on, including there was a wagon train that came all the way out from Independence, and you could sign on to that wagon train to be with it for a few days Walking with it, or riding—if you had horses, you ride a horse. If you had a wagon, and so my family and I actually signed on for uh, three nights over in Eastern Oregon with it, and we we walked with it from La Grande. We picked the worst possible place to start. (laughs) Started in La Grande, walked up into the Blue Mountains, and. and then... Uh, Gave you a bit of appreciation it, for what you're Yeah, up. <laughs> sure did. I had blisters on my blisters after <laughs> three days of walking uphill. Oh, no. But uh But that was a, a big deal back in 1993. It, uh, you know, all the towns here in Oregon, or were not all the towns, but the towns that it went through, you know, had big ceremonies to welcome it. and right. And uh, it was a lot of fun. That's
1: crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And then
2: last year... Uh, uh, Actually, you know, I'm not getting my years right. Yes. Yeah, um, last year was the 175th. 175th uh, right. anniversary. So we put together a big two-day event at the center yes. uh, to celebrate that and brought in wagons from some other museums and put our own wagons out, brought in a lot of people from Washington and Oregon uh, who had you know, pioneer-type skills they could demonstrate. We had uh, quite, a, quite a good celebration for that weekend.
1: Yes, you did, yeah.
0: What are some of the stories that are shared at the, uh, the Interpretive Center? Because it, that's one thing that I, I always try to stress to my, my kids when we go is, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff to do. But, you know, take a moment to, to take these stories in. And for me, it's so that way they don't complain when they're at home. It's like, I'm bored. Oh, dude, you got so much more to do than, yeah. So,
2: Yeah. Well, we try, we try to do that. We have uh, various parts of the museum where we've got little stories of some of these people. And some of them are, are fascinating stories. Some of them I use when I go out around to make presentations for the museum. Uh, there's a woman called uh, Annie, Anne Marie Combs, and she had a, a, a deathly fear of snakes. So when she and her husband went on the Oregon Trail with their uh, five children, She would insist that the wagon be unloaded every night so she could put her children into that wagon to sleep. She didn't want them sleeping on the ground because of her fear of snakes. Well, her husband thought this was silliness, would not help her unload the wagon, so she had to do it all herself every night. Well, she did that for four months, and then there was an entry in her diary for one day. It said, uh, walked 18 miles today, swam a river, Cooked the meal for our family, cooked the dinner for our family. Around nine o'clock, the children got sleepy, so I unloaded the wagon. And then at ten thirty, I delivered our newest daughter to the family. Whoa. <laughs> She'd done all that—the walking, eighteen miles, swimming rivers—and she was nine months pregnant. Wow! So I—I I always show that to people, saying, "You think you had a hard day?" <laughs> <laughs> Look and at you at this thought one. your health care plan was bad. <laughs> I would like a word with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. That, that's true. Apparently chivalry is dead. Yeah, there's, a, there's another great story that we also have uh, there at the museum, and it actually concerns uh, another museum here in Oregon, the one at Aurora, the Aurora Colony Museum. And uh, it's a story about a Dr. Wilhelm Kyle, who was leader of that Society, communal society that came out here over the Oregon Trail in the 1850s. I believe it was 55. But he'd promised his teenage son that when they <coughs> came out here, his teenage son could drive the first wagon into this place. That they had, they'd send a scouting party out. They figured where they were going to settle. Told his son he could drive that wagon into that settlement. Well, his son got sick and died about a week before they left on the trip. So promise is a promise. He uh, got a lead-lined coffin and filled it with whiskey. And it's the whiskey that this communal society actually made. It was called Golden Rule Whiskey. That's always a good name of a whiskey for a Christian society. (laughs) Filled it with this whiskey and put his son into the whiskey in in the coffin and carried it all the way across on the Oregon Trail was the lead wagon carrying this coffin and got wow. out got out here and buried him out here but uh, and they called him pickled willie oh good lord
1: <laughs> oh my word okay well i guess when
0: you you know make that kind of journey you got to have a Dark sense of humor, just to be able to get through it all. That's right.
1: Yes, I mean, gosh, wow. these stories are S- certainly real. Yeah, yeah, great,
0: great Halloween story. yeah I'm guessing that's not one you share with the school groups that show I, up there. I, no,
2: I don't, <laughs> don't. Don't tell that one to the school groups. Yeah. No.
0: <laughs> but that that actually is you know kind of dovetails into something. Is that the museum is actually a really popular spot with a lot of the schools. A lot of the schools from the area go there. So I mean, that, that's going to be kind of rewarding for you sharing that history that you have a passion with with kids mm-hmm. and. Trying to like you know get the next generation of uh, in, interested in this.
2: Yeah, it is it is a lot of fun, and we have a variety of school programs that the schools can pick from. Uh, typically, they come in the spring, but uh, we had one today with 66 oh, wow. kids. But uh, yeah, the Oregon Trail is part of the fourth grade curriculum, so we get a lot of fourth graders. And uh, um, with most of the groups, we have a half an hour question and answer session to begin it, so they can. I can ask them questions about the Oregon trail, see what they know and impart some uh, information to them at the same time and you get some some answers that are quite good and some answers that you have to <laughs> stifle your laughter uh,
0: <laughs> I can only imagine
2: <laughs> we had uh Those little uh, Johnny jokes. yes yes we had uh one uh, one sh- one fourth grader. We were talking about groups that went to California, not Oregon, because the trails were the same until you got to Idaho. And, uh, and the one kid raised his hands, and he said, I know one group that went to California. And I said, oh, good, good. Yeah. Who was it? He s- said it was the Donner Dinner Party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> did, did the child know...
0: What they were saying.
2: (laughs) Not in that. No, he didn't know what a dinner party was, but he'd known that, uh, you know, the whole uh, trip for that group had deteriorated to the point where they ended up in cannibalism. (laughs) Wow. Wow.
0: (laughs) On that note, folks. (laughs) I'm sorry, go ahead. No,
1: yeah. But yes, fourth grade is the time that the kiddos, I was in fourth grade in the nearby town of Sherwood. Uh uh and, yes, we did a lot of our learning and making um, fake wagons out of little oh, yeah. little red wagons. and
2: Some and, of them still do that. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's a good time. <laughs> yeah.
0: One of the things that I, I always found interesting is, like, there's that kind of misconception or whatever and that people don't realize is that on the Oregon Trail, nobody, nobody rode in the wagons unless you were ill. They walked right. the whole way. So... With, with that said, what are, what are some of the other you know, misconceptions that people have about the Oregon Trail experience that you routinely end up having to correct them on? Um, that's,
2: that's definitely the biggest. We point that out right to begin with when I do my little uh, explanation of what the center's like. I point out to them the size of the wagon. That's another misconception. They think, oh, it's these great big Conestoga wagons, and we have an actual— Size of a wagon bed in our very first building that represents missouri and the wagons were only about uh, four feet wide about 10 to 12 feet long whereas the freight wagons which were conestoga wagons they were called conestoga wagons they were about twice that size but they were not used on the oregon trail they were too tough to maneuver so oh, okay size of the wagon uh, the walking part as you said uh, they always think that horses pulled the wagons across the trail because that's, be what, that's what they see in the movies. Or, but it was usually oxen because they were much stronger. They were cheaper to buy. They were, uh, they'd eat almost anything. And if they wore out, they also were a good dinner. And, uh, Beef. That's yeah. for dinner. <laughs> but uh, that's a, a common mis- misperception. A lot of people think the Oregon Trail began in St. Louis, because that's where Lewis and Clark started their trip, uh, 40 years before the Oregon Trail, whereas the uh, first town for the Oregon Trail was Independence, which is on the other side of Missouri. It's on western Missouri rather than eastern Missouri. Those are are common misperceptions. Another one is that people think, well, all the people coming across on the trail were poor people. But you actually, actually had to have
0: a couple bucks to do this. In didn't those you? days, yeah. yeah.
2: It was actually sort of your middle class or, or maybe lower middle class. Somebody usually had to have a farm to sell to finance their trip. And so they had a small farm, typically, say, 40 acres. They'd sold that farm because they heard if you came out to Oregon, you could get 640 acres, a square mile of land, if you were married. And uh, so uh, the people that came out were not poor they were not rich the rich people had no reason to yeah. come out here but in the early years it was families just looking to improve their life they had a small farm they wanted a bigger farm with more land when gold rush started then it was a different crowd entirely it was single guys coming out to look for gold uh, and going to california rather than oregon because the trails were the same for about two-thirds of the length
0: i and i, I just can't imagine you know the the hardships that these people endured Again, I mean, you know, make, I made the joke about, you know, my commute being awful. Yeah. But, you know, extra five minutes of the commute, and it's just, you know, rolling your eyes and ugh, the whole way. But, I mean, these people dealt with, you know, shortages, bad weather, terrible road conditions. Mm-hmm. No AAA to come and, you know, fix it when your wagon wheel breaks. Right. And all of this, but plus the good sides are the stories that are shared at the, at, at the museum. So, I mean, it, it both, I think, gives kids perspective about what it was like then versus today, but also kind of shows, you know, even in all that hardship, that the perseverance of the human spirit and the positive ability to to look at things positively when, you know, they're walking 18 miles a day in shoes that were
2: not comfortable. (laughs) Right, right. And uh, uh, that sort of leads into another misperception that a lot of people have, they think, and that actually people in those days had, Because when people in those days went out on the trail, their biggest fear were Native Americans. They thought they were going to get massacred because they'd read stories in books, magazines, newspapers of the day. And actually when people got out on the trail, as we explain in our movie and other places in the museum, the Native Americans actually helped the early pioneers because they wanted to trade with them. They wanted to get the tools, the rifles, the gunpowder, the clothes that these people had And so they'd help them get across rivers, or they would uh, uh, do other things. They'd bring buffalo meat and want to trade it, for instance. Uh, When there got to be more and more people, there got to be more conflicts. But even then, as we point out at the center, only 1% of the deaths on the Oregon Trail could be attributed to conflicts with Indians. Um, The biggest cause of death on the trail was disease, a variety of diseases, main a lot of them waterborne from drinking bad water. Yeah. And then the second biggest cause was accidents, you know, people drowning, people falling down, getting run over by a wagon, people accidentally shooting themselves. So uh,
0: early, early entrance for the Darwin Awards. (laughs) So uh, if somebody wants to experience the End of the Oregon Trail Interpretive uh, Center for themselves, when is it open? How can I get there?
2: That's one really nice thing about our museum. We're open seven days a week, which is unusual for a museum. Um, uh, nine thirty to uh, uh, five, um, six days a week, and then on Sundays it's ten thirty to five. Um, so it's very easy to uh, to go to. You don't have to worry about it being closed if you go any day. Um, so that's that's good. The uh, admission is uh, thirteen dollars for a uh, an adult and uh, lesser amounts for. Younger people, older people, military people.
0: And it's a lot of fun. Again, I can say from experience, my kids always have a good time there. Hands-on activities, you know, kind of ease them into learning so that they don't realize that, oh, wait, I came away and this is constructive.
2: I actually had fun. You should plan about two hours at least. uh, If you've got a family and you think you're going to get involved in a lot of those activities that we have, then maybe even three hours, four hours. Some people spend... You know, full morning, full afternoon there. We're doing stuff with their kids. But uh, at least two hours, so don't show up at four. <laughs> uh, show up at least by three, and you'll have time to see the movie and, and uh, see all the other things that we have to offer.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, uh, we like to do a little fun thing with all of our guests, because, uh, like I said, this is all about getting to know the people behind Organs Mountain Hood Territory. And what better way to do that than to ask you five really weird questions off the top of your head <laughs> and make you come up with the answer. So this is a little game that we call... Would you rather? (laughs) Molly curates five questions, completely random stuff, and then you just fire off the top of your head which one you would rather. Nothing too crazy, nothing too Uh, crazy. Okay. So without further ado, Molly, would you rather?
1: All right, Bob. Would you rather only be able to whisper or only be able to shout? Whisper. Okay. Why? Why would you? Want to whisper?
2: Oh, sh- shouting is a, is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay.
1: Okay. I'll take that. <laughs> that works. Would you rather be able to freeze time or travel in time?
2: Oh, travel in time. Yeah. Where yeah. would you go? Oh, um, about one second
0: per second into the future. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no. Yeah, I'd probably go. V- Uh, Back or forward? (laughs) uh, Well, I'd like to do both, actually. Um, I'd like to travel clear back to Roman times, see how that compared to now, and maybe go back also to the 1800s to make sure that, you know, it's like we're reading about and then I'm (laughs) telling people about. But uh, yeah, I'd like to go forward maybe 50 years, too, to see, uh, you know, what new inventions have come along, what...
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. All right. Would you rather have three feet or three hands to help you with? Or, is there things? an accompanying
0: leg and arm with these? Or do I just have like one leg with two feet? Correct. Oh, okay. I, I think three
2: hands. I mean, That's what there's, I there's times when you two hands are not enough. You've got stuff going on, but. Two feet are usually enough. Yeah, that'd
0: even make the trips back from the car at the grocery store even quicker. Yeah. That was my thought. Very good. All things. Yeah. yeah, only need the cards.
1: Okay. Love it. All right. Would you rather read the book or watch the movie of any given story?
2: Uh, I usually read the book. Yeah. I'm just uh, old fashioned that way. But uh, I usually do both. Yeah. Uh, you know, I usually will read the book and then go watch the movie, but I'd like to read the book first.
0: All right. Side question on that one. Do you do the old uh, old school, you know, paper book or do you do the whole e-reader? Both. I do both. There's something about a book, the- but the e-readers, there, there's also a convenience there that if I want a right. book and I just want to, now I don't have to wait for it, I do love that.
2: And if I'm going on vacation, you know, you don't want to lug books. Yeah. Load up two or three books and have it right at your fingertips.
1: We heard him talk about Kindle, so I... Uh,
2: yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs>
0: that is true. I forgot. That, you, I forgot that.
1: All right. Would you rather meet your favorite fictional character or your favorite musician?
2: Um, uh, Probably, uh, oh, that's that's a tough one. Probably fictional character. Okay. All yeah. right, cool. Hey. Who would that character be real quick? Yeah. Oh well, um, I read a lot of lot of histories, but uh, you know I read a lot of spy novels too. So (laughs) there you go. Those those would be more fun. fun. Yeah, 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 those would be more fun (laughs) people to meet.
0: (laughs) Bob, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate this oh, because, again, bet. our history is fascinating. And to have somebody who you know lives it as much as you can, that, that's a lot of fun as well. Yeah. And thank you for helping to educate our next generation.
2: Oh, you bet. Yeah.
0: I love doing it. So go see Bob over at the end of the Oregon Trail Interpretive Center in Oregon City. You'll have a good time, I promise, and you'll learn some things, too. And thank you for joining us on Territory Tales. We'll talk with you next time.